0: Welcome to the City Reach Marion podcast. I'm your host, Lawson Hannaford, and we're back uh, for season one of uh, our podcast. Now, this is um, a resurrected podcast, uh, something that we started back in 2020. It's a pandemic podcast, resurrected. And that's okay because firstly, we believe in the resurrection. But secondly, there's topics which we don't ordinarily cover and don't get an opportunity to a deep dive into uh, on a Sunday church service or in other forms of teaching. So this is a way that we can look at a particular topic that have, of great interest to me. Something I've been studying more in depth for about five years and doing a deep dive myself uh, for this season. So season one uh, of the Resurrected City Reach Marion podcast is on renewal, uh, the topic of renewal, and we're going to uh, dive deeply into this uh, as a series. Uh, we're a number of different episodes, I've got some guests for you, but there's something that I really want to um, outline and give you a, uh, I guess a, a thorough biblical understanding, a thorough understanding through church history, uh, and a thorough understanding through experience, uh, because we believe that uh, the good news about Jesus Christ is not just something that we hear, it's not just uh, information transfer from one person to another, but it is truth on fire. Uh, as Martin Lloyd Jones would say, it is something that gets into your heart, transforms and changes you, uh, and makes you see things as God does. Uh, so that's a bit of my heart for uh, this first season uh, of the City Reach Marion podcast on renewal. Now, I guess I- I'd like to touch base as we begin by um, giving a bit of like introduction into why I personally am interested in renewal as a topic. And then we're going to have a look more specifically at um, the promise of renewal in this first episode and sort of some implications from that. So as as I think about why uh, I am interested in renewal, this really goes back to an interesting stage in my own life and ministry. Uh, This is back to 2012. I was uh, newly married and uh, involved in the beginnings of a church plant uh, which is a new church that was started uh, here in Adelaide, South Australia. And there was a real heart to see people know Jesus, people who aren't Christians, have not much to do with the Christian faith, to know Jesus. And it was a very experimental uh, church plant, but it was something that um, we really stepped out in faith. Uh, we prayed and we saw God open doors. And I just want to give you like a couple of examples of that. The first example is um, this church place started out, started out in a home. Uh, we were meeting in a living room and uh, there was just a, a few people, I guess, gathering together with a uh, common desire uh, to have a church which didn't just wasn't just there for Christians to keep learning about Jesus, but was also something that was reaching out to people who don't already know Jesus, which uh, many of us know is the majority of the Australian population. Um, and certainly the majority of the world does not know Jesus, does not have faith in him, and so missing out on the best news uh, on the planet. Now, uh, this common desire led us to, I guess, grow in a sense as we uh, conducted a sort of very basic um, church service in a house, and I love house churches, sort of kudos to all those out there doing house church. I think it's a wonderful thing, but the problem is uh, you can't have more than really 30 people in your house unless you've got a big house. So uh, we realized we needed to move. move, And we uh, looked into a region that had uh, lots of people in it, in the south of uh, Adelaide City, and somewhere where uh, it would be a great opportunity to reach unreached people. And so we, uh, we sat down, we had a prayer meeting, and we asked God for three things. We asked God that he would uh, plant us in a major shopping center uh, it would place us somewhere where we could actually conduct a ch- church service, uh, but would be able to reach out to non-Christians and that it would be free. So those three things, uh, sort of major shopping center, good location for uh, reaching out to outsiders and free. So uh, this was uh, on an evening, the next day went to investigate uh, this particular location and uh, God answered all three prayers the next day. There was a uh, venue that was in a shopping center. It was a cafe that was given to us, uh, you know, which was made available only to the church, but obviously open to public to come in. It was a really good setting for um, outsiders to come in. And also it was free. Didn't cost a cent. And so that to me was an uh, a initial experience of seeing God do things through prayer for the sake of his gospel going forward, that we couldn't personally conjure up in any way, and a very unusual set of circumstances. Now, this made me uh, wonder what is going on here, God. You know, this was uh, you know, ten years ago, and and you know, I hadn't been to Bible college uh, at that point, but was sort of neck deep in church planting uh, and uh, exploring. Um, what it means to be people who love Jesus, but want others to love and to know Him, and been willing to step out in faith. I didn't, and re- I didn't really know anything about renewal, or, or, um. So you know, we use the word revival quite often, but I didn't really know anything about it. Um, but I was, I believe now in hindsight, experiencing God doing something, uh, that was extraordinary. And I believe now something that God wants to do. Far more in far more commonplace uh, situations in our lives, he wants to be doing the extraordinary in our lives, and there's a certain number of keys uh, in uh, our Christian faith to actually engage with that and see that come about uh, in our lives, in our churches, uh, and certainly in our world. So th- that was the first experience, and little did I know, and little did uh, those other leaders in the church know that this was a um, a doorway into a very unreached people group. Uh, that I was very much, um, uh, I guess, unaware that God was going to open a door for us to reach. And that was the uh, the LGBT, or, or the um, back then was probably more known as the gay community. And uh, as it turned out, our first um, preaching series in um, our sort of new venue, which was a bit of a hybrid cafe, uh, bar or pub, um, our first series was on sexuality. And uh, it as it turned out, that the owner of the... Um, the establishment where we were holding our, our church service was himself gay in a long-term uh, committed relationship uh, with another man. And uh, also most of the staff were also um, would identify as being LGBT. And I firmly believe in um, the orthodox traditional teaching of the Bible and we were teaching that. And it was, um, you would imagine, it could have been a point of conflict, but in God's timing Uh, and place in this world. He opened a door that we built an amazing friendship uh, with people in this community. And he opened a door for more churches to be planted, which I'll share about shortly. And again, he was using what little mustard seed of faith that we had to reach people with the good news of Christ uh, who were effectively unreached. And for the most part of the, um, the, the Christian populace, Or or, or the church movement uh, would seem at enmity or be enemies of Christians, would be the LGBT community. And that's certainly the way it's portraying culture and media today. But that was not the case. Friends, uh, but also with very uh, different views on human sexuality, but uh, God was using us uh, as a church then. Uh, to have a door open that people would hear the life-transforming news about Jesus. This led uh, to us starting a um, another church. Uh, so, so this was we went from sort of a single uh, church location to multi-site. If you will, uh, we had sort of three different church locations. One of those was in the city, which turned out to be a gay nightclub. So, um, sort of <laughs> diving deeper into um, sort of ministry and evangelism within the LGBT community, but again, uh, on the basis of uh, people talking to people about hope and uh, good news and life, like important life things, uh, you know. And everyone's searching uh, for meaning and purpose in life. Some have found it, but many haven't. Uh, and God opened doors. And so uh, it was very unusual because we sort of outgrew, uh, I guess going into a chronological time, it's very unusual because we had sort of started at this large shopping shopping centre um, and in a sort of bar, pub slash cafe uh, for the church plant. And then we outgrew that location. We'd been praying for a new venue. Then the owner, um, uh who had given us the, the, the venue for free and was also part of the LGBT community, said, uh, hey, uh, I love what you're doing. By the way, I've taken over another pub in the CBD of Adelaide. Would you like to start another church? And for us, that was like an answer to prayer, um, a very unusual answer to prayer in that someone who sort of wasn't an identifying Christian uh, would actually uh, be a part of uh, and supporting what we were doing, even to the case of doing um. Uh, So, like opening more uh, doors that we could go through. So, um, I was in it. I was sort of gobsmacked. Uh, I was very surprised that this was happening. And I spoke to my dad, who uh, was a a Christian minister himself, a pastor, been involved in sort of various forms of um, church planting himself. Had started a thing in the eighties called Pub Church, which was a very unusual sort of made national news at the time, and also. I seem to get hate mail from Christians for going to sinners, which seems unusual given that that's what Jesus did. But anyway, I told my dad that uh, we'd been offered this particular pub in the city, uh, in the CBD of Adelaide. It was called the Producers Bar at the time. And, And my dad said, oh, that's the pub where I planted a pub church back in the 80s. And I was like, "Okay then, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, God, I can see your fingertips all over this." I didn't realize it was the same place, but as you can as you can hear, uh, a non Christian person offered us a new pub to go into to start another church once we'd outgrown our initial establishment. Turned out to be a church that my uh, a location where my dad had also planted a church thirty years earlier, and it was a um, Uh, It was something that was going to, we hoped, uh, be able to open a door to reach more um, uh, people who didn't know Jesus and uh, didn't know about the good news about him. And so we did. So we started this uh, sort of second, I guess, uh, satellite church, campus church um, in the Adelaide CBD at the Producers Bar. And from that, um, we uh, really sought to it would be a church that would yeah, like reach people in the city, and uh, you know we kind of ha- had a going joke with the owner and the sort of manager of both those um, pubs that um, you know if if he came to a Bible study you know we would um, you know it'd be great and we sort of kept inviting him and he said oh jokingly this is where the joke comes in he said oh well if you uh, I'll come to a Bible study if you come to our drag queen. Um, sort of cabaret evening. So it was Thursday night um, in the city establishment. They sort of had a drag queen show um, and, you know, men dressing up as women and and doing a cabaret show. And there was all sorts of sort of wacky stuff that went on uh, as part of that event. And we said, you're on. (laughs) We said, all right, you come to the Bible study uh, and we'll come to your um, sort of drag queen cabaret night and, in, you kind of would expect this to be a recipe for disaster, but it was not. It was a recipe for God doing something which we just couldn't believe, which was opening a door amongst uh, the LGBT community much further and deeper than we imagined. And once people uh, realised, hey, we didn't like, hate them, uh, we're just like normal people, uh, once pe- uh, people realised that, hey, like, we had something valuable to share out of love, and we just wanted to get to know people and share the hope that we had in Jesus, uh, people started getting saved. Uh, people people started to um, come to faith in Christ out of, you know, a community which uh, ordinarily uh, people think are enemies of Christians. And I mean, I, I just remember one particularly powerful um, time we uh, did the alpha course, having a house, we sort of live very close to, uh, to, to the inner city and, a number of people sort of became Christians during that uh, Alpha course. But I remember one guy in particular who um, sort of had, had a really deep um, conviction uh, that he needed to live as a Christian. And so uh, we sort of had something over the weekend and, and um, on Saturday night uh, about 10 o'clock I got a call saying, hey, I really feel moved by God to um, move out of my boyfriend's house and, and live as a Christian. And so he was like literally then and there. Uh, So I had a a sort of ute at the time and uh, I I drove up to his house, uh, which is an apartment, and he was throwing his clothing and belongings down to me from the first floor while his uh, then ex-boyfriend was standing there with arms crossed looking at me. So it's a very unusual experience, but um, an amazing work of the Spirit of God amongst people uh, you know, ordinary people who seem far from God, but his Holy Spirit moves people to trust in Jesus as people step out in faith. And, and just he does it. God does it. Now, so I, I, I give you a bit of background and um, understanding of some experiences that I had in church planting and sort of stepping out in faith so that you can get an idea of what I was experiencing but not really knowing much about I was experiencing God doing extraordinary things through ordinary effort, I guess, of people, but putting trust and faith in God, seeking that His good, the good news about Jesus, the gospel would go ahead uh, and being willing to take risks for that to happen. And we saw it happen. And so uh, I guess I, I want to fast forward now because there's some early and really formational experiences for me. I want to fast forward to um, more recent. Uh, this is, um, I guess, 2017. One of the things that uh, I had done, and that that church planting um, sort of experiment actually um, failed. It, it ended after about three years. We sort of went multi-site, and, and then it sort of um, uh, disappeared. Uh, and uh, my probably one of, after many reflections and many mistakes, to be frank, that were made. One of my reflections is God just took His hand off it and let it end. Uh, in his uh, sovereign purpose. But uh, after that, I sort of went to... Went to Bible college, uh, did some sort of much deeper and further study and uh, began uh, to get interested in uh, this idea of renewal. And the person who sort of opened me up to it was a guy called Tim Keller who uh, wrote a book actually in 2012 when we planted this church and I was given that book in 2012 which was called Center Church. And one of the things that uh, Tim Keller talks about in his book Center Church was uh, renewal. And gospel renewal dynamics. is this idea that as we really believe in what Jesus has done, and, and I'm not just talking for salvation, I'm talking for people who are like uh, Christians themselves and have already come to faith through believing the gospel. As we become to really believe that Jesus uh, died for the forgiveness of sins, that he rose from the dead, it does two things. It humbles us and it fills us with godly confidence and unleashes the power of God into our lives so that we can step forward in faith and see him do extraordinary things in our time and generation. And Tim Keller is like a Presbyterian uh, and, you know, hide all the Presbyterians out there. But you, you don't ordinarily uh, think about renewal and Presbyterians or revival and Presbyterians going together. But um, his story of church planting in um, on Manhattan Island in New York is one of, again, God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things by people uh, trusting and believing in the good news about Jesus Christ, being filled with the Spirit and uh, seeing many, many people come to faith and living authentic uh, lives where these Christians look more and more like Jesus to the point where they are impacting a city. I remember watching a video at some point that uh, when Keller planted in the 80s, early 80s uh, in, on Manhattan Island, like the, the population of Christians in uh, New York was something like 1%. And then uh, I think it was in 2016 or 2018, um, so it's was almost 30 years later, the population of Christians in that on that island of Manhattan had gone to 5%. Been a five-fold increase in the amount of Christians in the city. Now, I'm not saying Keller did it. I'm saying God did it. But I'm certainly saying many on the ground there would say, and we had the privilege of going over there in 2017, spending about a month with uh, Redeemer, um, uh, Presbyterian Church and the city-to-city um, City church planting program, uh, many would say that uh, Keller was instrumental uh, by God in seeing uh, many, many more churches planted and many, many thousands and tens of thousands of people come to faith over that 30 years. And so this, um, this teaching, uh, this experience that Keller had, I, I, I really uh, grabbed and gripped my heart and, you know, I'm a church planting guy. I'm someone who is just really excited about churches getting planted both from my <laughs> failures and experiences, but also I'm just seeing actually God do things. And so we, um, my wife and I, uh, we went over to, uh, to New York to have this um, sort of time with a Redeemer and city to city in New York and then uh, came back to Adelaide uh, with a heart to again p- plant again. Uh, in a similar area, actually, just, just down the road from where that church plant was in 2012 at that bar, uh, but with the same heart that uh, non-Christians uh, would know and meet Jesus, and that uh, the God who made this universe, who sent his son, would receive glory, for he is worthy of it, and he worthy of people uh, trusting and believing in his son. And so we uh, we're involved with a small team uh, with the city reach network planting a church uh, here in uh, the south of Adelaide in the in the Marion region and one of the things that uh, really um, I guess it grabbed us was this idea that God could use us and so we planted and you know some amazing things happened uh, but uh, you know we, we had gifts of buildings and like uh, a lot, very large sums of money and sort of people came together. It was a very small group that eight of us that decided to plant this church um, together and, and God drew many other people together and really blessed it. but um, it was actually at the end of um, at the end of this first year of planting of, of 2018 uh, I was discouraged. I was discouraged I'll tell you why. I was discouraged because uh, almost all the people that had come to this church this new church uh, which had a desire to see non-Christians come to faith in Christ Jesus. Almost all the people were already Christians. Almost all the people had come from other churches and for good reasons, often, had come from other churches to this new church. But we weren't doing what God had called us to. There was uh, a net loss, and really there is across the country and probably across the Western world, there's a net loss going on at the moment with uh, people coming to uh, coming to f- faith in Jesus and the church growing—it's not happening. People are going to newer churches, and there's good things happening in in newer churches and church plants. But the predominant growth is not from non Christians converting to be Christians. The predominant growth is from Christians coming from other churches, and that's not a good thing. Let me say that as a pastor of a of a church—that I don't think that's a good thing. And so uh, we like uh, this burdened me, and actually. Oddly enough, the, I mean, the church had all the visible signs of success on the one hand, but then on the other hand, I was discouraged. I was discouraged because uh, you know, Jesus' heart uh, is for the lost. It's for his church to to grow uh, and to expand, to be built, and that wasn't happening. So I, I guess I, I poured this out to God in prayer. Very interesting, I read a book um, called Jesus Continued by J.D. Greer, and again, it was on this topic of Revival, and I've already been thinking about a lot of the stuff from sort of Keller, Center Church, Redeemer Presbyterian, and Cedar City. Um, but this book on Jesus Continued uh, by J.D. Greer about the Holy Spirit—that's uh, the point. Jesus Continued, meaning that the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, this this book drove me to see that actually God's vision for His church is that it would be one that's filled with the Spirit, and God, the Holy Spirit. Is the agent of revival in the church, and that is what all churches and all Christians are to be a part of this renewing and reviving work. And so, uh, I read that book and I was really moved by it. And, and Greer talked about, J.D. Greer talked about a few things like common elements in revival where people really see God do extraordinary things. It was uh, this sense of really getting the gospel. Firstly, secondly, uh, going deep in repentance. Uh, That is, you know, we we actually um, like come to grips with our sin because like what is it that stops God doing great work uh, in our lives and in his church? It's not God, it's us. And so that's coming to grips with actually asking his forgiveness for not really believing in him. And I'll get more uh, into that a little bit later. Uh, And corporate prayer uh, was another one. And then actually stepping out in faith uh, through actually planting churches and seeing God do tremendous things. Those like several things, um, one of the things that Greer said is this doesn't just start corporately in churches, this starts in individuals. And I thought, man, the thing that I'm bothered about uh, in the church is a thing that actually sits in my heart. I'm way too comfortable. I'm way too willing to have the status quo. I'm way too willing not to step out in faith. Australia is a very wealthy, comfortable country with one of the highest standards of living in the world and we are all like uh, the rich man, the rich young ruler that Jesus spoke to who aren't willing to give up our things and our standard of life in order to be true disciples of Jesus and I can't had to come to grips with that is me and that is everyone in this country. And so... Uh, that's a very humbling thing. But as I realized that a revival just doesn't need to start out there, it needs to start in here, pointing to my own heart. That really got me. Now, uh, the problem, of course, is, well, like, what do you do? I'm a very pragmatic person. I like to get things done. Uh, but I, I was very concerned about what do I do? How do, like, how do we see a church and our own lives really like bring the kingdom of God to bear upon a city, upon a region, upon a community? And this uh, wrestle of my heart, I guess, it was just con- ongoingly. And I uh, was at a party at one point and spoke to a friend and I was talking about sort of the region where I live uh, and there's just, just an unusual amount of sort of cults <laughs> uh, and and sort of um, culty uh, sort of pseudo Christian religions in the area, and they've got the, the buildings with the big fences. And it looks like they're trying to keep people um, out and keep people in um, at the same time, which should always worry you if they've got a big fence with, with pointy things on it. Um, and it's supposedly a church. And so, uh, and, I, and I said to someone, I said, Oh, you know, it just always makes me think of that, par- uh, that so the story in, in um, Mark chapter 9 when Jesus met a. Um, sort of a man who had a demon-possessed son and his father really got desperate and said to Jesus, like, can you cast out this demon from my son? And Jesus, of course, does, says a few things uh, to him and to the crowd. And then the disciples are embarrassed because they couldn't cast out the demon. And the disciples say to, uh, say to Jesus, uh, you know, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says this kind, as in this kind of demon, can only be cast out through prayer. And some, um, uh, some translations have fasting. And and I said to this friend, talking about the cults, I said, "Oh, like I wonder whether there's just this kind of demon of unbelief that sort of holds people in the, the region that you know I'm in, mean? because there's so many cults there, and it's actually like satanic." And of course, like uh, when we really read the Bible, we realise that um, there's a spiritual world behind the physical world, where actually it is, uh, you know, a spiritual battle. You know, Ephesians chapter six talks about that. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities in our world, and so. I had this idea uh, that you know, maybe it's, uh, it's not just a pragmatic reason why people aren't coming to faith; it's a spiritual reason. And then I was listening to another podcast. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. This cultural moment, uh, this cultural moment podcast, uh, at the time, and I um, they were talking about um, a guy called Martin Lloyd Jones, who back in nineteen fifty nine, which was sixty. Uh, years uh, to the year uh, when I was listening to it back in 2019, um, 60 years ago, preached this sermon series on revival. And and he actually used that particular text in Mark chapter 9 to say that we need to give up on methods and we need to actually turn fully to Christ and see him do the work that we cannot do and we need to pray. And so this obviously uh, got me um, very excited and so I managed to dig up this sermon, the transcript of it uh, and the audio of it, which is great that they had the audio back in 1959 of this sermon. And the first sermon in the series, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a sort of London uh, preacher, pastor from that era, um, who was really a very spiritual, very unusual, but a very spiritual man who really uh, imbibed uh, being a revivalist, but being a man who was uh, convicted that only God could do it and that he did it through using the ordinary means of people believing and preaching the gospel and praying and seeking his kingdom to come and being transformed by uh, their own personal and then corporate renewal. And so that's Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was preaching this sermon series on revival because it seemed that it was a hundred year. So it, uh, I, this is an interesting um, sort of side fact, but it seems that the uh, The year 59 in every century seems to be significant. I'm not going to super spiritualise that, but it was in 1759 was the first Great Awakening. So we're talking um, John Wesley, John Charles Wesley, uh, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, those kind of guys, um, and uh, Moravians, which I'll uh, talk about a little bit later. Uh, And uh, then it was in 1859, uh, we've got guys like Spurgeon, um, uh, Charles Finney, uh, Moody, uh, you know, all, all, all these, then there's a the second great awakening happened. And then in 1959, uh, so this is when um, our friend D.L. Moody, uh, sorry, D.L. Moody was 1859. Uh, our friend uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was uh, preaching in London. This went in 1959 was when the Billy Graham crusade happened in Australia and you sort of see that the largest mass gatherings of Christians and conversions probably happen ever uh, in uh, this country. And so uh, Lloyd-Jones was preaching this series in 1959 and saying that things have gotten so dire in uh, the West that we are getting to a stage where, and this is like dire for the church, we're getting a stage where people won't even have heard of Jesus, not alone not believed in him. Because he was saying that the church was weak, it was uh, not doing what it... Practicing what it preached and hardly believe in the gospel in which it should be adhering to. And he said that there are, like, people are leaving the church in droves. And this was in 59. So I'm listening to this sermon 60 years later. <laughs> then he uh, exposits Mark chapter 9 and this uh, narrative of Jesus and this demon possessed uh, boy and his desperate father and says, We need to be desperate like that father, by and stop coming to the methods of man, but come to Jesus himself because that's what the father did. And that is what uh, saw a great deliverance from evil. And Jesus said, and the, the, I'm quoting now from Mark chapter 9, Jesus uh, was uh, spoken to by the desperate father about his son, like, Jesus, can you heal him? And Jesus said, if you can, of course I can. Then Jesus' words uh, was, uh Continue, he says, anything is possible to the one who believes. Anything is possible to the one who believes. So what is the issue? It is faith. And what is the act of faith? It is coming to Jesus himself. And so in that parable, we see Jesus just casts out the demon. It's no issue for Jesus. No one else can cast out the demon, but Jesus does. Later on, the disciples get Jesus on his own. and They ask why they can't cast out. Said so this kind can only be cast out through prayer. That is... You can't do it yourself. You have to turn to God. And Jesus is obviously God himself. So he is the one who's saying, you must turn to me to do it. Only I have the power to do this. And Lloyd-Jones reflects this in saying, we're in a situation where what we're doing is not working. Our methods are not working. Our new churches are not working. New translations of the Bible aren't working. We're at a level where we have an unprecedented amount of resources uh, before us, and ability before us, and yet it does not work. Why? Because you are not turning to the God who alone can save people. Not by mind, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And Lloyd-Jones says we are in an era where we need to stop our methods, stop depending on things that don't work because they're clearly not working. And we need to turn back to the living God, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and ask him to do what we can't. And so, Lord Jones's application in that sermon is we need to pray. Because what is prayer? What is prayer but asking God to do the things that we cannot do ourselves? What is prayer but drawing near to the God of the universe who he alone created? He brought it into existence. The Bible tells us he holds the universe together by the word of his power. Why don't we just ask him? There's so much in the New Testament about uh, actually like faithful prayer and faithful action. And that's what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and really uh, Jesus' teaching uh, in Mark chapter 9 points to. And so it was, I guess there's a long way of saying, I was listening to this and going, Wow. The issue is not that we don't have, you know, a, f- a flash enough church, or you know, more Christians out there evangelizing, which we should do, uh, or we, we don't know enough things. The issue is that we've stopped trusting in Jesus and began to trust in ourselves. And so that led me personally to a state of repentance, but it also led our church to begin to pray, to begin to seek after. Uh, Jesus to do a transforming work that we can't do ourselves. And uh, this was in 2019. One of the results of that time, we sort of brought this to our leadership team and we all decided we need to start a weekly prayer meeting. We need to start a prayer meeting where uh, we just turned to Jesus and asked him to do what we can, to reach this generation with the good news of his death and resurrection, his death that would forgive sin. His resurrection that would bring new life into dark places and people's lives. And so we began to pray. We had a weekly uh, prayer meeting. And it was at that first meeting we prayed that God would uh, raise up workers for the harvest. That was our prayer. There was eight of us at that prayer meeting. The following uh, Sunday uh, at our next prayer meeting, uh, there was a, a man, a, a Chinese pastor who came along. Uh, and he came along to our prayer meeting. We didn't really advertise it that much because I didn't. I was a bit worried about advertising things and sort of getting into marketing because uh, I, I thought if God is in the prayer meeting, he will build it. And so anyway, this, this guy rocked up and he was so moved by coming to the prayer meetings. There was nine people at the second prayer meeting, eight at the first. He was so moved at the prayer meeting uh, that he asked to catch up with me And he said, oh, uh, look, I've been thinking about planting a Chinese church in the south of Adelaide, but now that I've come to your church and see what you're about and can come to your prayer meeting, I'd like to start a Chinese congregation at your church to reach Chinese people in the south of Adelaide. And that was exactly what we'd prayed for, that God would raise up workers for the harvest, people, leaders, who were going to reach unreached people in the south of Adelaide. And it was at that meeting I thought, Lord, This is your plan. This is your vision. We're coming into step with what you will do to reach the people of this city. And it is through prayer. It is through truly seeking after you, not just trying to do stuff and and new methods to attract Christians from other churches, but it would be a way that Jesus himself would build his church. And so uh, that happened Uh, (laughs) and uh, we were able to start a uh, significant uh, Chinese uh, ministry uh, at the church uh, that was planted just the year before. Now, I share these stories uh, and I share these experiences because as I began to dig deeper into uh, this idea of renewal and revival, it made me think this is something that God does. He wants us to be a part of it, but we need to turn away from doing things our own way and come to faith in Him. Now, a great example of this, kind of a general example of this, is salvation itself. That is being converted, going from death to life. How are we saved? Are we saved through doing good works? Of course not. The Bible says our uh, even our good works are Filthy rags before God in the book of Isaiah 66. So then what saves us? It is by faith, by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So if we are saved by faith, then how can we expect God to do saving work and transforming work and powerful life-changing work apart from faith? And what is our faith in? Our faith is in Jesus Christ. How do people often come to faith? By praying. People I mean, praying for that person. When we actually become a Christian, what do we do? We pray. We talk to Jesus. And so, how much more would that be God's way of continuing to do the work? And so I guess all of these things have be dawned on me over the last uh 10 years, the last decade, and have got me personally to the point where I have realized that. Uh, this is what we all need to be on about. All Christians need to be on about the life-transforming work of Jesus. Uh, we need to be all to be people who believe in renewal. Now, I've, I've been using these terms for um, uh, this whole episode so far, so renewal, revival. Um, they get used way too much, uh, to be fair, and, and often used wrongly. So I'm going to define them for you. Uh, the way I think about renewal uh, is more in a personal uh, or local sense, and so so that's I guess personal meaning you yourself can be renewed. That is coming again to trust and believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Your faith coming alive again as at salvation, but more so. That's renewal. So it's renew, making new again, making it like it was at conversion. I think uh, the. Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, that's the wellspring of life. And actually, uh, the interesting thing is that Christians don't graduate from being saved. They just dig deeper into it. It's a far deeper world than they realized. And so that is, um, that is renewal. And then when we think of revival, we think of this going widespread, uh, as they say, going viral. So revival is when groups of churches... See many people saved and many people's lives transformed, and uh, lots of amazing miracles happening. And it's when we see whole countries come alive and people in a whole generation getting saved. And this is when we talk about great awakenings and, and revivals in particular. So, um, just for your sake, as you uh, hear these terms, renewal is something we think about sort of personal and very local, revival is something we think broad, viral, and uh, all, all around the place, something that is, God is doing uh, in a much broader way. Now, uh, I guess one other thing that I want to share with you, and this is, a, uh, I guess, a case study. Now, We're, we're going to get back to these uh, over time and um, uh, dig a lot deeper into particular case studies of when revival broke out. But one in particular I want to point us to is uh, the Moravian revival of 1727. Uh, the Moravian revival of 1727. Now, uh, this is uh, a long time ago. And in, 1720, uh, in the 1720s, uh, there was a group of uh, people called the Moravians who had become uh, refugees within Germany. And uh, they were invited to stay at the property of a guy called Count Zitzendorf. I love his name, Count Zitzendorf and uh, the sort of, Township and, and um, big property was called and Hut and so uh, this group of uh, sort of refugees came to uh, this uh, this property. And um, Count Zitzendorf was a very godly man. He was a young guy. He was about, I think, he was in his mid late twenties, and he just felt a real passion and zeal from God to be a pastor. In fact, one of the things that gripped him was because he was a wealthy guy. You don't get the name Count unless you're sort of wealthy and have many resources at your disposal. His family sort of sent him uh, on a mission throughout the rest of Europe to become cultured uh, And uh, early in his life. And w- when he was on this mission uh, to get cultured uh, and sort of had all the, the vices of the world put at his disposal, he went and saw this painting. And it was of the crucified uh, Jesus. And, and he went and looked at this painting and he felt God speak to him uh, because the painting said, if Christ has done this for you, what will you do for him? And he felt like the Lord Jesus spoke to him and said, if Jesus has done this for you, i.e. died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, what will you do for him? And so at that point, the Holy Spirit put a burning zeal uh, inside of Count Zitzendorf to be a man who loved and served the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that was kind of the backstory. That's why he welcomed in this group of refugees because Christians should love the sojourner. They should love and welcome in refugees, and so we did. At, at great personal cost, they should do it. And they should advocate for it. And so, uh, Zitzendorf invited this group of refugees into his home uh, and into his property, and they sort of set up camp there. But the problem was uh, that they, they were pretty much all Christians, um, but they were from different tribes and denominations. You know, there were. You know, Lutherans obviously I think there were perhaps some Roman Catholics you know a few Anglicans uh, you know a few sort of uh, Calvinists Armenians I mean you can imagine this would be like cats and dogs uh, together uh, in, in a room and so they were just fighting there was such disunity amongst this group and so one of the things that uh, the uh, people became very upset about this and this sort of this community should have um, been one of, sort of love and, and charity and generosity but it wasn't and so this group uh, gathered together with Count in and they began to pray. And, th- and they began to seek that God would do something that they couldn't, which was bring unity to them. And a fire broke out. Not a physical fire, but a spiritual fire. It was like Pentecost happened. In fact, those that describe it talk about it like being another Pentecost. Because God took hold of people as they sought him for what they couldn't do. He brought them into step with his Holy Spirit. He filled them with his Holy Spirit. And it was uh, in that year, in 1727, that uh, people say the revival broke out amongst the Moravians. They were so moved uh, by uh, God's Holy Spirit that they started a 100-year, 24-hour, seven days a week, 100-year prayer meeting. They didn't stop praying for 100 years. And it was out of this uh, reviving work in uh, amongst these Moravians in 1727 that God used them to go around and preach the free grace of Jesus Christ and the life-transforming work of Jesus Christ all across Europe. They sent out missionaries all across the world when in an era when people didn't send out missionaries. Uh, they uh, made their way to London and they made their way to a particular prayer meeting uh, where there was uh, three young men who were part of the prayer meeting. They were part of something called the Holy Club, which a guy called uh, John Wesley had set up. Uh, and they, these men were um, already Christian ministers, although they would say that they weren't even converted at the time. But they had realised that they didn't have the power of God alive in their lives. And so one of these uh, Moravians uh, was leading this, uh, this prayer meeting in London And there was Charles Wesley there, and these names I'll come back to frequently. John Wesley was there, and a guy called George Whitfield were all there. And uh, one of the things that the Moravians preached was about uh, true faith in Jesus Christ comes through surrender. It's not about intellectual knowledge. It's about knowing that what Jesus did for you, you could not do for yourself. And so you need to repent of your sins, repent of even thinking that your good works will save you, And surrender your life to Jesus Christ and by faith uh, be received by him. And what happens, uh, John Wesley describes his heart was warmed. Uh, George Whitfield describes a a transforming power that came upon him. And it was out of that uh, that open-air preaching was shortly launched. Uh, George Whitfield went to preach in a mining town uh, within days thousands of people were coming to, these, uh, open, uh, to the open-air preaching. And it was in, uh, from that moment onwards that uh, the Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening, broke out in the, uh, the 18th century uh, and hundreds of thousands and millions of people were converted as a result. Methodism uh, came out of that. Uh, and it was a great and tremendous work of the Holy Spirit, both in uh, Europe, uh, in uh, the United Kingdom, in England in particular, and also in North America and all across the world. But it began as a result of people who were gripped by what Jesus had done for them and began to get on their knees and to pray. And so these are the reasons why renewal and revival are utterly important. These are the reasons why renewal and revival are utterly important ideas for us to grasp, to believe, to to dive deep into, to look at what the Bible says about these things, which we'll do next week, and to actually uh, set aside our own methods and ideas, even our own ambition, and go, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me in ways that I couldn't possibly think of? The Bible says that uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says that Jesus didn't give us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-control. And I think many Christians struggle with this feeling of lack. Things aren't as they should be, and they are right. Things are not as they should be. But how are they changed? Think about if you are a Christian person, how you were converted. That is the greatest change you have ever experienced. And I want to tell you that is a well in the Holy Spirit of life-giving, living water that we all need to dig deep into to to draw from As Jesus says in John 7, uh, you will be like rivers of living water through believing, like a river. So we don't just need a bucket, we need a river, and God the Holy Spirit is ready to give us that through believing in Jesus Christ, and that is something that we need to seek after with our whole hearts in order to experience what God would have us do and be in this time and generation. And so these are things that we look forward to exploring as we go through uh, the rest of this uh, series and this season of uh, the City of Reach Marion podcast, this season on renewal. Uh, this is episode one with an overview on what is, overview on what is renewal. Uh, our second episode, episode two, we're going to look at the promise and particularly the promise of the Father and what that will look like. Thank you so much for being part of the uh, City Reach Marion podcast. I'm your host, Lawson Hannaford. Uh, If you would have any comments, uh, like any any questions that you would like to be asked, please um, comment, uh, click on the link. Please give us a review on wherever you get your best podcasts from. This is a way that more people can hear and know what we're talking about here and find out uh, in a deep dive more about what it means to know and to love and to trust and see the work of Jesus Christ uh, and the work of God happen in our time generation